0: Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. The Lord is with you. There are some conversations that just have to be held face to face. Uh, An email or a text or a phone call or even a, a Zoom meeting is just not appropriate. There are times when the things that we need to talk about are either so important or require so much attention to tone of voice and body language and questions that are raised that a personal conversation with all of its intimacy away from all the pressures of the group is just required. We need to be face to face. We might call those kind of conversations fierce conversations. They engage closely with what it is we need to talk about. In the Gospel of John, Jesus often pulled away from the crowd to look people in the eye and to listen carefully to them and to hear their questions and respond to them, to answer from the heart and to confront those issues that needed a deep and honest response from him. He did that frequently in John's Gospel. He didn't shy away from those fierce conversations that touched some of the most important questions that human beings ever raised, questions about things like eternal life, Or our deep thirst and longings that we have, how are those quenched? Or what about grace and how full of grace is God when someone is caught up in some kind of sin or failure? Or what about death and resurrection? Or or what about truth in a world like ours where lies dominate? Or what about when we fail deeply as followers of Jesus and need restoration? In the Gospel of John, Jesus engaged all of those conversations and more in these one-on-one, face-to-face moments of concern. One of the most important questions people brought to Jesus during the course of his ministry, and this is true not just in the Gospel of John, but in other Gospels as well. One of the most important questions they brought to him was the question about You're you're talking about eternal life. You're talking about the kingdom of God. How do I enter into that? How do I experience it? How do I participate in the very thing you're offering, this thing called the kingdom, this thing called eternal life? In Mark's gospel, for example, there was a rich young man who came to Jesus and he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you looked at his resume, he had... A lot of things going for him, health and wealth and power and morality. But he was living with a conscious awareness that he still lacks something. And he came to Jesus to ask this question, and he and Jesus engaged in conversation. In the Gospel of Luke, there is a lawyer, an expert in the Jewish law, who comes to Jesus with all of his wisdom and knowledge and scholarship on his resume. And he asks Jesus the exact question he says to him in Luke 10, 25, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? None of the things on his resume had satisfied his heart, and he still needed an answer to that question. There must have been others who came to Jesus asking the same thing that these are just representative of, but uh, they wanted to know how do, I, how do I know this life from God that you're offering and talking about? it? That was an ancient question but it's a contemporary question also. Human beings, for all of our advancements in science and knowledge and technology, have still not done a single thing to change the nature of the human heart. We are left, despite all of our advances, to face these realities that science and technology just cannot address. Human beings are mortal creatures. In the words of the German philosopher Martin Heidegger, we are beings unto death. And he meant by that that we're not the only creatures on earth that die, but they're the only ones who live knowing we're going to die. Last Wednesday night, we put the signs of our mortality upon our foreheads in ashes We've come from dust, and we will return to dust. But we live with this lingering suspicion that this life is not all that there is. There must be more to it than 70, 80, 90, or 100 years here on this planet. There's so much more we long for. How do I find this eternal life? We long to know about more. Human beings are meaning-seeking creatures. We uh, sense more than any other creature on the planet that... There needs to be some purpose for this one life we have to live that we know is going to end. How do we find meaning and purpose in this life? We have a pretty good sense that it's not going to be uh, our own picking ourselves up as if by our own bootstraps, but it has to be infused from outside ourselves. How do we connect with God's purposes? We want to know about God's kind of life. Human beings still today are thirsty creatures. We have deep longings that are unfulfilled. We sense there's something more to our inner life than what we experience. And we try like crazy, literally like crazy, sometimes to fill it. We try to fill that with religion and power and knowledge and relationships and chemicals and pleasures and all kinds of things, hoping that something is going to make life okay. Like that ancient wise philosopher in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament who tried all of those things, we find out that those things are, he called, vanity, emptiness. There is nothing under the sun that is in this life by itself that can satisfy in that way. It requires more. We want to connect with God's kind of life, what Jesus called abundant life. We're thirsty creatures. And so these questions about eternal life are not things that are easily addressed in 140 characters of a tweet. We need to sit down face to face. We need something more than an email or a text or a phone call. It's the stuff of fierce conversation where questions are asked, important questions, and are listened to and responded to openly and honestly and directly. In John chapter three, in the Gospel of John, Jesus sat one evening in Jerusalem and engaged a conversation like that with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus' resume boasted morality and religion and knowledge and respect and power, but those things had failed to satisfy the deepest longings of his heart. And he had heard the teachings of Jesus, and he thought perhaps this rabbi, perhaps this teacher, could offer the security he needed. The question was still lingering in in Nicodemus' mind, despite all he had done and accomplished, how do I find eternal life? How do I find God's kind of life? John tells that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in a series of three exchanges between the two of them. In the first exchange, we meet Nicodemus and learn a bit about his life, and we hear Jesus' response to Nicodemus's veiled and so far unasked question. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, John says, named Nicodemus a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could do the signs you do apart from the presence of God. So meet Nicodemus. In the first two verses, you learn a lot about him. You learn, for example, that he's a religious man. He is a Jew. The Jewish people were the folks who had for 2,000 years been worshiping the God, the creator of heaven and earth. They had been in covenant with him since Mount Sinai. They had been the recipients of his law and his instruction. They had a temple built in God's uh, to God's honor and name to worship him. They offered sacrifices and observed feasts and festivals. They were the people to whom the prophets had spoken the word of God. If anyone had a claim, a religious claim to stake, it would have been the Jews in the first century. And that was Nicodemus's heritage. He was a Jew and a religious man. He was, a, he was morally upright. John says he was a Pharisee. There were about 6,000 Pharisees, we're told, by jo- Josephus, the historian. 6,000 Pharisees in uh, Judea in the first century. Most of those were laypersons. They were not uh, religious leaders, but they were religious people. And they not only studied the law but uh, and knew those 613 commandments that were identified in the law, but they had also expanded the law thinking, how do you apply it? And they knew those oral traditions as well and sought very, very hard to live them. Now, the truth is that we mostly know the Pharisees because of Jesus' stern rebuke of them, and so we have a tendency to think of Pharisee in a negative sort of way. But some of these were very, very sincere people seeking to live and obey the law of God. And Nicodemus was a moral man. He was trying to live the law. He was very influential. He was, uh, it says, a leader of the Jews, literally a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the seventy. Uh, person, ruling body in Jerusalem at the time, an influential man, and he was a person of faith. You hear him there. He says, we know you have come from God. I believe in God. You've come from God. And I believe God is active and uh, involved in this world. No one could do the miracles the besides you do, Jesus, unless God were with him. He believes in God. He believes in God's power and God's ability to act. And he has a deep respect for Jesus. He comes to Jesus not to accuse him or trick him. He comes and says, Rabbi, teacher, I, I respect you and I see God at work in your life. Now, for all of that, here's the point. With all of that on his resume, this man who was religious and moral and powerful and influential and who believed in God and God's activity still felt something empty inside. None of that doctrine or faith uh, or um, activity or religiosity had, had solved the inner heart problem for him. He felt something was missing, and he's come to Jesus with questions. He's come to Jesus for answers Jesus hears the question in the heart of that Pharisee Uh, the question hasn't been formulated that yet I'm not sure Nicodemus knew how to formulate it yet but Jesus heard it nevertheless in this conversation how do I find eternal life how do I find God's kind of life how do I enter into this kingdom of God this rule of God that you're offering How how do I do it The chapter verse divisions in the Gospels are helpful because we can find our way around and say chapter 3 verse 12 or whatever, but those were not in the original text. And sometimes they're placed in such a way that they interfere with a smooth reading of what's going on. I want to invite you to uh, back up a bit to chapter 2 of John verse 23. And we'll reach straight through to verse 1 of chapter 3, and I want you to hear the word plays there from this more literal translation I was reading from the New Revised Standard, but this is the New American Standard here. Listen to the word play. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning men, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. John is implying there that Jesus' capacity to sort of see through our facade, see past our mask, and see past it all, he knew what was in a man. And there came a man of the Pharisees who said, we know you're a teacher come from God. And Jesus responds to that statement with this puzzling word. Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, uh, you truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, which you obviously want to see, unless they are born from above. And that seems like such a non sequitur. Jesus, Rabbi, we believe you're a teacher come from God. No one could do the miracles you do except God were with him. Truly I say to you, if you wish to see the kingdom of God, you you must be born from above or born again. That seems like but Jesus is seeing what's in the man. He knows what's driving his concern and what brought him there that night, and he just moves straight to the point. If you want to experience God's kingdom, it's going to take more than your religion or your knowledge or your power or your influence or your scholarship or your piety. Something else has to happen, Nicodemus. It has to happen within you. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must, and that word must is... Means it's morally necessary. It's absolutely necessary. You must be born from above. Jesus offers Nicodemus this insight. Something internal has to happen in you, Nicodemus. It's not enough to have all this external piety and religion and knowledge. Something has to happen inside. You need a new beginning. You need a starting over place that originates from God. You need to be born from above or born again, as some translations have it. Jesus is playing with a word there. The Greek word is a word called, I don't like throwing Greek words into sermons, but sometimes in John, it's just necessary. Okay. is this Greek word, anothen, and it has several meanings, all of which are at work here. It can mean again, like a second time, Uh, So Jesus could be saying to him, you need to be born again. That's how Nicodemus understands it and misunderstands it. Or it could mean you need to be born from the beginning. That is, you need a radical do-over. You need to start from scratch. All you've accomplished in your life has not taken you to that experience of God. You need a start-over. You need a do-over. Or it could mean, and Jesus seems to intend that, and the New Revised Standard translates it this way, You need to be born from above. This is something God needs to do in your life. From above, a new birth, one that has its origins in God. John had written about something like that in chapter 1 of his gospel. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Uh, Many people in Jesus' day, John says, did not receive him and did not accept him. But they said this, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, He gave power to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Uh, John said, God gives power to those who trust in Jesus to be born from above, born of God, to have new life from God. That's Jesus' response. If you want to know God's kind of life, you need to become God's child, you need to be born from above. And using this expression, born from above, Jesus shifts the emphasis from all this religion and piety that Nicodemus brought to the, to the conversation to something that has to happen within, a relationship with God. Become God's child. That's what you need, Nicodemus. And then the second exchange begins. Nicodemus opens this volley with a question. He says, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born? What are you talking about, Jesus? This doesn't make any sense at all to me. He understands Jesus literally be born again. And everybody in the Gospel of John that understands Jesus literally misunderstands him. Jesus speaks with this language of metaphor that's very powerful. Nicodemus asked the question, how? If you read through the Gospel of John and look for the word how, you'll find most often it's on the lips of unbelievers. They just don't get how Jesus, the things Jesus is saying could possibly be true. How? How can a man be born when he is old? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God "...without being born of water and of spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you, and that's a plural you, that's a y'all in Texas, you and all like you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going." So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus tries to unpack this for Nicodemus. He said, you have to be born of water and of spirit. Being born of water probably refers to physical birth because that's where Jesus goes next. Everything that is born of the flesh is flesh, but you need spiritual birth, birth from above. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I like to imagine about that time as maybe they're sitting on one of those flat rooftops at a spring evening in Jerusalem that the wind picks up a little bit. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, "You, you feel the wind on your face? Yes. Where did it come from? I don't know. Where's it going? I don't know. No. You can't see it. You can only experience it. And that's the way it is, Nicodemus, with everyone who is born of the Spirit, which is the same word in Greek, as wind. You feel the wind, and you feel the spirit. You experience it. You can't see it. It's a spiritual birth. It's something that happens within you, but you can very well experience it and know that it's real. Nicodemus opens the third exchange with Jesus with that question again, how? How can these things be, he asked. Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel? and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, and you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. How, Nicodemus asked again, how, how can this be? How do you experience birth of the Spirit? And Jesus said, you're a teacher of Israel. You're a theologian and you don't understand these things. Let me see if I can explain it to you another way. He's tried talking about new birth. Nicodemus didn't get that. He's talked about birth from the spirit and the wind and Nicodemus couldn't grasp that. But he said, you're a teacher of Israel. Do you know the scriptures. It's like this. Remember that story in Numbers chapter 21 where the people of Israel were in disobedience to God and these poisonous snakes were around and they were venomous snakes. They'd been biting the people and people were dying. And God gave Moses an instruction how to save the people from that poison. He fashioned a, a bronze serpent and put it up on a staff and held it up. He lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And they were told that whoever looked to the serpent, to the symbol of God's healing, would, would be saved, would be healed from their, their snake bites. Remember that, Nicodemus? Nicodemus said, yes, I remember that story. He said, well, in the same way, the Son of Man, talking about himself, is going to be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And and this is an act of God's love. God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only son, so that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God's love is what we respond to. We do it by faith, by believing in the one that he sent, by putting your trust in me, like a serpent lifted up in the wilderness. And when that happens, Nicodemus, God does something inside a person's life that is like new birth. It is a work of the Spirit. You can't see it, you can't touch it, but you can experience it. And you have eternal life, the thing you're looking for, this new life from God. What exactly is eternal life? Well, later in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he says these important words. Listen to these. These are Powerful. Jesus is praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And listen, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not something that's primarily about going to heaven when you die. That's certainly included because it's eternal life. But eternal life is that which happens when a person places their faith in God through Jesus Christ. We come to know Him and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. It is a relationship that characterizes eternal life. Eternal life is not a commodity that God bestows upon us when we say a prayer Eternal life is a relationship that God establishes with us when we put our trust in Jesus. We are born again. We become a child of God. The relationship is established, and since it is a relationship with the eternal God, not even death can overcome it. It is eternal life because it is God's kind of life. It is a quality of life that Jesus called abundant life. Death can't overcome it. We experience it here in this world as we grow to know and love God in relationship here and now, and we enter into it by looking to him in faith and trusting him alone. I think the point of this fierce conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is that all this religion that Nicodemus has, regardless of its source and the good things about it, still leaves unquenched some of the deepest thirst in our life. Religion can't do that by itself. It is inherently unsatisfying by itself, ultimately inadequate to connect a person to a relationship with God. We can't do enough religion to earn our way to God. If the Effort didn't come from the other side of the chasm between human beings and God, it would never be crossed. God has sent His Son into the world so that those who believe in Him might not perish but have this eternal life that He offers. Something more than our effort is required. No ritual, no baptism, no confirmation, no communion can do that for us. There is no set of beliefs, no matter how correct and orthodox that can do that for us. No priest or pastor can do it on our behalf. No code of ethics, no matter how fine and how moral, can accomplish this connection for us. It has to be done by God. That's why it's called being born from above. It is not something we can do for ourselves. It is something God has chosen to do for us, to connect us with him in love through his son, Jesus. Jesus two times says to this religious, moral, ethical, pious, orthodox man, You and all like you must be born from above if you're to experience the kingdom of God. Ultimately, we need a relationship with God, not religion. So, what did Nicodemus do after this fierce conversation? Sarah hinted at it in her prayer. There's more to Nicodemus in this story in the Gospel of John. He came to Jesus this day, Jesus, the light of the world. He came to him out of the night, John says, from the darkness to the light. But he kept moving toward that light. In John chapter 7, verse 50, there's a controversy in the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus is present, and he speaks up on Jesus' behalf, even though they mock him for doing so. He takes a public stand for him. In chapter 19, verse 39, it is Nicodemus who assists a man named Joseph of Arimathea who's going to loan his tomb to the crucified Jesus. Nicodemus assists Joseph of Arimathea in anointing Jesus' body and preparing it for burial. He does that publicly. We have reason to believe he became a follower of Jesus, moved from darkness to light, found that new birth from above that Jesus had offered him. I think the obvious question to ask after you spend some time over hearings, listening in to this fierce conversation, is simply the question Have I been born again? Do I have a relationship with the God who loves me and who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son? Am I depending on anything else other than what God has done in his love? To grant me this life eternal. Do I have eternal life? Do I know his forgiveness of sin? Have I entered into relationship with this God who loves so very, very much? To be a child of God, John said, is given to those who receive him, Jesus, who believe on his name. Jesus said, as many as believed on him, to them he gave eternal life. This is God's gift to us, eternal life. It's not something we work for or earn. It is what God gives. And the question is just clearly, do I know eternal life? Do I know this God in love? Have I been born from above? Let's pray together. In a moment, we are going to say a prayer. And after that, We'll sing a song about God's wondrous love. And while the song is being sung, and we'll be standing at that time, there's an invitation that is open to each one of us. It's an invitation to respond to what God might be saying to your own heart as you listen in to Jesus and Nicodemus. Have you ever come to that place in your life where you have said yes to Jesus, believed in him, trusted him, and him alone? to give you this relationship with God. Have you experienced what it means to be born from above? Had God's spirit work in your life and a relationship with God established as you trusted in Jesus Christ? If you've never come to that place where you've decided to follow Christ and to trust him, if you, and you would like to talk with someone about that important decision... You have some options. One thing you could do is just step out into the one of these aisles near where you're seated and come forward while we're singing. I'll be here at the front. There'll be other pastors and just say, I, I want to follow Jesus. I-, I want to decide to be his disciple. I want eternal life. And we can talk about that right here and now. It may be that you feel the need for a more fierce conversation about that, something more personal and quiet. And if you'd like to do that, we can arrange to do that. Just You can use that Connect card that's in the pew rack in front of you and fill that out and leave it in the offering boxes at the back. But indicate on there, I want to talk with someone about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we'll be in touch with you right away and set up that conversation. We can talk. If you're looking for a church home and you think Trinity Baptist is a place where you or your family ought to belong and serve and grow alongside one of these other believers here, you also could either walk down the aisle and just say that i want to join the church or uh, you could indicate that on the card put it in the offering boxes and we'll be in touch with you about that decision because you may have some questions still this is a time to respond to god maybe the lord has said something else to you in your heart as you've listened in on this that needs to be renewed and you just want to take care of that this morning in in prayer whatever it is let's respond to him our father We do not understand. We are with Nicodemus when we just keep asking how. How can you love us this much? How can you offer such an amazing gift and reality to us as you've offered to us in Jesus? But we want to thank you that you have, and we give thanks to you for your wondrous, wonderful love for us. We pray for those who are considering what it would mean for them to become your followers as well, that you would work in their heart and life and draw them to yourself. and Give them courage to, like Nicodemus, step out of the darkness and into the light and begin to follow. Lord, thank you for a birth from above. Thank you for grace and forgiveness. Thank you for a promise of life eternal here and now and forever. We offer our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.